You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. You're listening to Stage Door Podcast, the podcast celebrating theatre and creativity from onstage mishaps to career-defining moments. Hosted by thespians, myself, Tori, and co-host Eliza, fortnightly we will bring you industry professional guests, deep dives, and more. Hello everyone and welcome back to Stage Door Podcast. Today we are joined by current cast member of Moulin Rouge and an insanely talented individual, Jared Draper. Before we get started, we would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and the Tabal people of Ugera, the traditional custodians of this land on which we work, live and record and recognise their continuing connection to land, water and community. We pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. Jared was cast in Stephen Sondheim's 90th birthday celebration concert, Sondheim on Sondheim at QPAC, and When the Rain Stops Falling as Andrew Price, Clovelly Fox Productions. He most recently took to the stage in Rent at the Sydney Opera House, Understudying Collins, Catch Me If You Can at the Hayes Theatre Company as Agent Cod, and in the sold-out season of his one-man show with Darlinghurst Theatre Company, and people of Cabaret. Jared was also a top six finalist in the inaugural 2020 AOC initiative. Jared is currently a part of the ensemble in Moulin Rouge in Nam, Melbourne, and dedicates his performance to his family, his ancestors, and every person who hasn't felt seen, heard, or represented. He will continue to create space and fight until our industry is truly reflective of the rich tapestry of our streets. Please welcome to the mic, Jared. Hello, hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on we're jumping into this bright and early this morning love it no other way to do it no other way to do it so let's do it jump in head first <laughs> how are you obviously you're you're currently in the middle of your run in Moulin Rouge in Melbourne how yeah. are you going how is it all yeah it's great it's great I feel like we've only we've been doing the show for about since November of last year with all the COVID complications that it's had yeah. But it feels like only in the past maybe two months we've found a rhythm because it was so stop-start for so long. Yeah. Um, so that's been kind of nice, finding your feet. But, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting finding that rhythm when the show's about to end here as well, which is right. a bizarre thing. But it's been nice. How much longer do you have in Melbourne before moving to Sydney? Literally two weeks from today. Oh my god! Yeah. So by the yeah. time this comes out, you'll be. Is it like straight into Sydney, or do you have like a break? No. So we have. Um, so what we do, we finish on the 29th of April, I believe, and then a three-week break, which is a godsend. That is. Yes. <laughs> um, and then we start teching at the end of May, and then open early June, I believe. I believe that's correct. Yeah. I I would have to double check that. You'll find out. You'll find out once you're here. Exactly. Um, Exactly. That sucks. I cannot believe that it's already the Melbourne runners. Like, by the time this comes out, it's finished. I know. It's crazy. crazy. It's flown by. It's really flown by. Yeah, it'll be nice to change the scenery. Um, And it'll be nice because I live in Sydney usually. So it'll be nice to bring it home. And my family are a bit closer. Yeah. yeah, I've really enjoyed being in Melbourne, though, as as much as it's been an up and down kind of road. It's been quite nice to be here 
I've never lived here, so it's been been a journey. Change of scenery. Well, that's and Melbourne it. is just such a beautiful cultural, yeah, creative space. Um, totally. Sydney is obviously is also a creative space, but Melbourne's like really where it's, it's well, exactly. It's and I think it's it's nice to experience that and experience it now that things are starting to open up and things are starting to really take shape again. Um, and having you know this Moulin Rouge and Hamilton. American in Paris is down the road, and then mm. Harry Potter. So it's nice that thing you're seeing things, yeah. things start up again, and your friends are in work, and there's yeah. there's jobs and the industries alive again. It's a good feeling. <laughs> it is. I know. Wasn't it bizarre for so long? It was. Yeah, there was kind of no hope for a little while there, but it's all right. Yeah. It's yeah, we're back on track. I think. You're back. We everyone's uh, look. Everyone's there's, there's now just like so many. I think contingency plans in place That's right. in order to be able to kind of keep going, which I think is good. It's still scary to be like, um, you know, like Phantom. I think are up to their third row because I can oh only assume God. of COVID and yeah. But performers are such adaptive people that, that they just make it happen we're That's at the point it, where we're right? like as long as we can put the show on we're, we're happy don't That's care what, exactly it, what right. state it's in we just want to do it yeah you're exactly <laughs> right i think um a very adaptable people very resilient people just kind of you know throwing your head head in head first i guess it's um yeah it's wild it's been like that with Moulin rouge too it's just been been crazy just the amount of stops and starts that the show has had yeah. literally from the rehearsal process has been wild unlike anything I've ever experienced but I think it's a testament to I can only speak to my cast but it, it pulled us together much more than anticipated I mean they're a bunch of absolute legends all of them and I, I really love working with each and every one of them it's an absolute blast, but I think definitely the circumstances of COVID and from literally from the beginning, I mean, when we were start, we started our rehearsals in Sydney and then a week into that was when the spike of COVID started in Sydney. Yeah. So we then had to start wearing masks in rehearsals from week two. Um, we literally only had probably three days where we didn't wear masks. So for the longest time, none of us really knew what each other looked like. But no, it's uh, like I said, it's a testament to the the people in the cast. They're so resilient. Some of the best people I've ever worked with. Just like a bunch of legends. Good banter, good fun. And life exists outside of work. That's one thing that I truly oh, value. Is that um, you know, it's it's we love it, and I I couldn't do anything else with my life. But it can't consume my entire being. There's got to be more. And then we we've got to have fruitful conversations that are about more than just work that's really important to me that I make like genuine connections because at the end of the day the musical will end at some point right but it's I'd rather walk out with if I can 36 you know plus great mates that I can count on in the future because that's what really is going to matter at the end of the day and no one's really going to remember the roles or the musicals that you did it'll be the way that you made them feel so that's important to me yeah Um, and I feel like everyone really embraces that mentality in the show that it's about you know it's about more than just the musical which also I think makes my work better sometimes actually all the time to be honest (laughs) (laughs) just because it's I feel like then you are 
more interested in life, which then translates into your work. I feel like you're able to carry in things that are you wouldn't necessarily think about if work was your entire life, if the show was your entire life. Um, yeah, so I think perspective is huge, but it's it's amazing. It's un the group of people is unlike anyone that I've ever worked with before, which is awesome. Yeah, they seem like such a family, which is yeah. It just seems like you guys really get along genuinely. Yeah, we do. It's it's interesting that you say that because I mean you can run into into circumstances where I mean life you don't get along with everyone, right? That's just no. what life is. Yep. But <laughs> I can. I, I can honestly say that I, I've been really lucky in the shows that I have been able to do and the people I've been able to work with. Um, but there's something really special about this one. And I think it's a testament to uh, the show's values itself that I think yeah. each person adopts just naturally in their natural being, um, which is a, it's a beautiful thing to be around. And, and the show is made up of people from all different walks of life and I think that is one of the most beautiful things and it's one of the, the things that I'm probably the most grateful for because every day we're learning about different experiences even if you're not actively speaking about it you're still learning by watching and seeing the way people give themselves and the way they apply themselves and the way they carry themselves through through their daily lives and through the show and so I find that that is possibly the most rewarding thing for me. I mean, I love getting on the stage and I love doing it. Like I said, I wouldn't be able to do anything else. But learning is, yeah, they're one of the greatest gifts and being around people that you get to learn from all the time. I mean, who could ask for anything more than that? <laughs> You couldn't, I don't think. I think yeah, that's, I yeah. think that's exactly the, the dream environment um, to be in. Because right, like and it's, th there are so many opportunities for totally. things to not go quite as you would love them to. Um, yeah. But having such a strong group of people yeah. who have been made stronger by COVID, it's just magical. Totally, totally. And isn't the whole point of an actor is to be interested and to learn and to adopt, you know, diff people's different life experiences and apply them to your art. So I think yeah. it's like you said, the perfect circumstance to learn and grow and and really, you know, make informed decisions about your art because of who you are around, which is a beautiful yeah. thing that I, I don't take for granted every day, which is lovely. That is beautiful. Yeah. Um, I, I can't wait to hopefully see Moulin Rouge soon yeah. and I can see all of the... The beautiful love on stage, which is always just so incredible when you go and see a show like that. But I guess um, a little off topic from Moulin Rouge for a hot second. Can you tell us a little bit about how you found theatre or where your love for theatre came from and how you kind of fit into this crazy world that is theatre? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> how I kind of fit. I don't know if I... Yeah, if I do fit. I don't no, know I'm if kidding. Fits. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, that's so what true. I was about to say. <laughs> I feel like we're all a bunch of misfits that are just yeah, we found one place where we all all can kind of be together, which is lovely. Um, oh, well, mine is interesting. I come from a huge sporting family who have really have oh, nothing wow. to do with this world. <laughs> I grew up in the, in the country in country New South Wales, so um, out there, we kind of you played every sport under the sun. So that was kind of my upbringing. 
And then I kind of fell into it because, I mean, there were local theatre companies around my area, especially Orange is where I grew up specifically. Um, cool. And I had, at the time, I had friends whose parents were a part of the theatre world in Orange. Nothing that I'd ever really been exposed to before. Um, and so they were doing a production of The Boy From Oz and they were trying to cast young Peter Allen. And so I'm quite <laughs> competitive by nature. That's, I think, from all the sport that I played. <laughs> um, and they were going in for it. So I went home and said to my parents, oh, well, I think I'm going to go in for it too. Um, unbeknownst to them, uh, not knowing where this had come from. Uh, and so then I went in... Because at the time I was taking piano lessons from uh, the, my nan's next door neighbour. Um, and so I, I I kind of felt like I had some musical ability in some way. <laughs> um, but I'd never, never really sung anything in front of people before, which is crazy. Um, so then I went in to this audition and I remember it. Quite clearly, I sang a version of Putting on the Ritz. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, had a, I had a cane and I did a little dance. And, um, no. And I, I, yeah, I booked the job. And it was funny because when I booked the job, it was I was on my way to basketball practice. Um, and I was about to call it basketball rehearsal. You can see he's being being taken over to the dark side, which is so unlike me because during a show, it's always like when there's intermission, I always say, is it halftime yet? Or it's always, so that was really interesting to clock that just then. Um, but I was driving to, uh, basketball practice and the call came in over the Bluetooth speaker. And I remember my mum had to pull over the, the car and she kept saying to the person on the phone, are you sure you have the right kid? <laughs> because we're not sure if it's, if it's ours. Um, because like I said, they, they, no one had ever really heard me sing, ever really done anything. At the piano lessons, I used to briefly, you know, have a little sing along or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of discovered that through that process, it, it was when the, the puzzle and the jigsaw piece kind of all falls into place and you go, ah. Oh, that's kind of why I'm here. That's yeah. like I'm, I'm here to do. And so I did that show, and my parents talk about this often, um, that the first time they ever saw that show, they looked at each other in the audience and kind of mouthed profanities to one another and were like, well, did you know that he could do that? Um, and then from that moment onwards, they never let me stop, which is great. There's been, yeah, there's been blips in the road um, where obviously when you choose to take on a a career like this, uh, especially back then, and being a male, it was mm. difficult to navigate in a country town. Um, so mm. that brought on, you know, the bullying, the the, the things that come. And then it's interesting because how we were saying it's a bunch of misfits that have found each other. The, the stories are so similar a lot of yeah. the time, which is a beautiful thing that these these people that have been through hardship just because they were doing something that they love to do, that they have found each other and ultimately we've won in the end, have we not? Um, Which is is a a beautiful, beautiful thing um, that, again, I don't take that for granted either. Um, 
but yeah, so I, I went through some challenges there, but my parents above all never let me stop doing it because I think they saw from that moment onwards that that's what I was meant to do. Um, and that I, I had a knack and a gift to be able to, to storytell and, and do that through my persona as a person. Um, so then they, I left Orange when I was 14 and I went to Sydney to boarding school. I kind of escaped all of the country town. I, I always say, I don't think it was ever, it was never my place. And I think everyone knew that everyone that kind of was around me and my family again, will say this all the time. It was never, it was never Jared's place. It was never where he was meant to be. It was never where I was meant to grow up. Mm. Um, so I moved to Sydney, went to boarding school down there. Um, and I absolutely loved it. And that was where it's interesting because I, I look at the, the bullying in that circumstances now kind of a blessing in disguise. It's hard to look at it like that in the moment. Mm. Um, but now it was such a blessing because I got kind of the best of both worlds in a sense that I had this country um, grounding with my family still being there. Um, and then I moved to Sydney and I was a part of this Sydney world with people that I'd never been around before. So I kind of had the best of both worlds in a sense. Um, and I kind of knew how to navigate both by the time school had finished. But while I was there, I absolutely loved it. Uh, and that was where I found places like WAPA and VCA and that you could actually study this as a career. And there were subjects at school that were drama and music and they were taken seriously. It wasn't just like a flippant thing that wouldn't turn out to be a career in the end. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, like I said, it was a blessing in disguise, I think, now that I look back at it. And I look back at my life now and I... I look back at those people that are still in the same place, doing the same thing. So it's, oh yeah, you know, it, it's a win, definitely. <laughs> you know, how much I've I've overcome and and where I am now, it's uh, yeah, it, it's exactly where I feel like I was meant to be, and that was exactly what my journey was meant to be. Um, and I was just lucky that I had parents that really fostered that. Mm. Yeah, like they're absolutely. Especially... Yeah. yeah, like, especially in the country town, because yeah. I know my partner's from the country, and he loves musical theatre, but never explored that, because yeah. it's like, that's just not something, like, you're into sport, when you, you're, yeah. you're a guy, you're into sport, and yeah. you are, you know, there's not as much, like, the theatre scene, it's quite hard, it's, exactly. it's hard for you not to yeah. follow suit and just do the football, the rugby, you well, know, that's all of that. That's exactly right. And I think there's such a fear instilled in young boys, especially, or young mm. people who identify as being male. There's such a fear that is instilled in them to, like you said, play the sport, play rugby, play, be the macho. Otherwise, you don't mm. fit in. And especially in a country town. I would like to hope that that stigma is changing somewhat as we progress, but it's yeah. it's still difficult. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's still you've still got to. Uh, I can only hard. hope that in me being able to achieve what I'm able to achieve, I can somehow open that door um, in some sort of way. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's 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 hard in a country town, and it was difficult to navigate. Because I think I also fell into the trap of my biggest regret 
now looking back on it was that I didn't get into dancing way back then and I mean I only really got into dance classes when I went to Whopper and I trained over there so that was my, my, my biggest regret to this day going forward I'm just lucky that all the sport gave me a natural ability to move my body yeah um and that I I have that somewhat in the back pocket but it's one of my biggest regrets is not not doing that and it was purely out of fear it was it was out of the torment and everything that was going to come my way if I did do that um that is so interesting actually because that like I got bullied for being a ballet dancer when I was like Five. Okay, I was in a small town as yeah. well at the time. And since then, I just didn't dance. And that was like my biggest regret until I got into uh, my school now. And I'm like, oh, like, it's it's such a weird thing. That, yeah. that is such a story for so many people. They get bullied or discouraged from doing something that they clearly love to do. And they don't fully um, get to do that until later in life. But at least we get to do it now. So. Exactly, exactly. That's a good thing. <laughs> I mean, it, it came full circle in the end, right? And because we're kind of talking about it, um, you were just talking about kind of uh, the love and challenges of love. And obviously that is something that is a big part of Moulin Rouge. Why do you think that this show just has such a, a big and great impact on audiences? Yeah, well, I think first and foremost... The, the core values of the show is truth, beauty, freedom, and love. And above all, I think love is... It's the theme that kind of is throughout the entire show, whether it's in the dialogue, whether it's in the music, the story itself. And it's interesting relaying that back to something that you said earlier, was that you can see the love that we all have for each other on the stage. Yes. Um, and it's purely that love is based around genuine connections with humans that just wanted to tell a story that wanted to get back to doing what they love to do after a period of prolonged silence and not having any kind of hope or any light at the end of the tunnel that we were going to be able to do it for a while Mm -hmm. so I think above all it's very we're all grateful to be there Um, And I think the show is such a pure escapism in its its finest form. Mm. It is, I think it's exactly what people needed coming out of COVID, coming out of isolation. Um, It's a story that uh, people have an attachment to, uh, whether it be because of the movie, whether it be the Australian connections to the movie that we've adopted as it being an Australian film. Um, Whether it's the music in the show. I mean, there's so many people that I I didn't even realise. The song in particular, Come What May, so many people have said that's been a part of our wedding or that's been a part of our our love story. So to see that um, on the stage in front of us has been very overwhelming, which I hadn't even thought about. But I think the show touches all generations, like I said, and I think that's why it's the perfect musical for Australia as well at this moment in time. And the 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 songs are all pop songs, ranging from you know whatever era to now. Um, so there's something in there for everyone. I think there's a mashup of about there's seventy five 
odd songs in the show, yeah. pop songs oh that God, are yeah. that vary. So I think there's there's something in there for everyone, and it's it's an updated version of the the movie. Yeah. But it's like the movie on steroids. You put it on stage <laughs> and you get the lights and you get the set. The set is a visceral experience in itself. Like you come in and it's so, it's one of those things that just kind of like hits your limbic system in a way that you're like, I don't really know how to take it all in. Um, yeah. Which is, again, you, you enter the theatre and it's pure escapism. You're just immediately transported into a different world, which I think is, it's what we, we need coming out of, isolation and a prolonged period of fear and unknown um and like I said silence and nothing really happening in the world and it was it was scary it was a scary period for a really long time but this is bringing so much joy to people's lives and you see that every night and I think when you're tired and when you you feel like you can't keep doing it eight shows a week because it's a tough show. It's really tough. And yeah. the energy it requires of you is, is immense. But you see the look on people's faces at the end of the show who have just had the time of their life. And you just think about that every time and want to make it new and fresh. And each show is different and each show is new. Um, but I just think that the show, it, it always comes back to those core values, truth, beauty, freedom, love. It's always, it starts there, it ends there, um, and that it's always, it's just intertwined in, in the love story, whether it's, you know, the story of Christian and Satine, or it's Latrec and Satine, or the Duke, and it, it's just always, <laughs> it's intertwined with everyone. Everyone adopts yeah. those, those values. And I think that the show also, something we were talking about earlier, is that it's the, the people casting it, shout out to Lisa Campbell, who is a godsend yes. angel from above, um, <laughs> did a terrific job at finding people that adopted those values in their real life, um, that had an innate sense of those core values. And it's having people from all different walks of life that I never take for granted. It's... Uh, and that brings the story to life because it's a it's about a bunch of bohemians a bunch of misfits who find a place where they belong at the Moulin Rouge yeah. so it's almost it's life imitating art or art yeah. imitating life if you will um either or <laughs> but it's it's interesting because it's it's always it always feels like i'm learning from everyone, every day. I mean, where do you get... The opening number of the show is... Where do you get that diversity? I mean, you've got four Lady M's... Oh, yeah. Who, yeah. you know, Olivia, Ruva, who are full-figured, beautiful, stunning women of colour that open our show. It's just like... Nothing whenever else. I... You know, whenever I... Exactly right. Whenever I see that, every day it is... It's crazy. It's crazy to sit there that we we haven't had that, and that that yeah. is yeah. that that is so uh, new. It's such a new idea. It just absolutely baffles me. It's so exciting to see people on stage, and it's slowly happening more. Like the the cast announcement that just came out for uh, Bonnie and Clyde just yeah. was, but it's slowly happening more where. Um, 
more people are able to see themselves on stage. Exactly. Um, like in people yes. like, uh, for like me personally, like Sarah Mer and Liv and going, oh, that's, I can see a body that is similar to mine on stage. Yeah. And I've never in my life, um, other than, you know, I think that the UK are doing quite a good job at the moment um, with some aspects of that. Um, but like, this is the first time where I'm going to feel like I'm seeing Totally. Real people on stage. It's crazy because there's some there, there's someone in there for everyone in this show. I mean, it's the show doesn't require any sort of uh, diversity in any sort of way. You know what I mean? It, it could could yeah. well have been another whitewash production, but it's they've they've really sat, sat down and done hard work in going. These are the people that we want, and it um it's worked out in a way that I. Like I said, it's just a learning from everyone every day and seeing that beauty on the stage, seeing that open our show, seeing yeah. our non-binary people in the show that are representing and flying that flag. Um, you know, having myself, uh, I get to work with another Aboriginal person that are, that's never happened for me before because yeah. we're, we're so scarce and so far and few between, especially yeah. in music theatre, that working with Brie is crazy to me it just it hasn't happened before and it's something that I again I really value that that when we moved into the theatre Brie and I did an acknowledgement of country and I really took the opportunity that I wanted to remind because in in that tech period and moving into the theatre you can kind of lose sight of what really matters it's stand on this number sing this line here stand (laughs) xyz um and so I really made a conscious effort to to say if we look around the room, you see people in this room that we have never seen on the stage before. And people are going to come to this show and go, that's me. I can do that. Yeah. The, you know, we have people from everywhere, which is, I had that uh, that moment when I was, I saw Wicked um, way back when, I think it must have been 12 years ago. And I luckily, Patrice was playing Elphaba that yes. night. Oh my god. So this is a really a big full circle moment for me. So I it was the first time I'd ever seen someone it was her last name that um I was like, Oh that's that's different. Because I mean for me, I, I don't have an all my role models are or role models or people that I've looked up to that have had a, a, a brilliant career here are, are, are white men. I've never seen mm-hmm anyone that's like me I don't have a clear-cut path for myself um and I think that's the driving force behind me and what I want to achieve in this industry that hopefully when I get to lead a show it's about more I I could care less what that does for me you know what I mean like that's all I want to do is to be able to tell the story but above all what that will mean to the country Mm -hmm. to see that to see an Aboriginal man lead a show on Aboriginal land and be able to invite people into that world and again break stereotypes teach people use it as a learning opportunity to really grow and shape what I believe this industry really can and should be Um, Mm -hmm. you know because we 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 yell and we scream that it's an inclusive space but nine times out of ten it's not that inclusive (laughs) Um, and we're, we're learning that now and I think 2020 was a huge shift in that the stillness that was one of the the things that I valued in the stillness that we had to sit and we had to think and yeah about in the the circumstances that kind of went wrong 
there were such massive learning opportunities. And I feel like I really inserted myself in that conversation because there's no Aboriginal voice other than, you know, that we were having these yeah. conversations on in Aboriginal land without an Indigenous voice in there. And especially a young person that is waiting their career in this, this industry. Um, so that I really inserted myself in those conversations. And above all, that's what I... It, that's what it's about for me. And I often say to people, you know, well, it's got to be about more than just getting to shoot your shot in the limelight. It's got to be about what it means or what, what you represent. Or And often people are taken a bit aback when I ask them that question. They're kind of, yeah. I've, never, I've never thought about it. Like, but your work is never going to succeed if it, you're only in it for yourself. You're never going to be... You know, you'll become a two-dimensional actor if it be, if it's if it's yeah. not about something greater than you know you getting to to be the star, I guess. Which I really could care less about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. It's it's about telling stories, and and I'm glad that things are starting to shift. I mean, the the conversation is never ending, and it's not. There's no answer to it. It's no. all I ask of people is that there's a clear dialogue and an open dialogue that is that's never ending and evolving and that it's not confrontational and it's met with open ears because I mean I sit there and I have the conversation with people and I go I've heard you my entire life so now it's time for you to hear me and actually digest the information yeah and it's you know it's it's tough it's and it's not lost upon me that it's it's tough conversations because we've never been able to have these before. Yeah, it's tough things to talk about. It's, it's new information and it's, it takes the right people to be able to communicate that because it's wrapped up in so much trauma and so much hurt um, and so much silence for such a long period of time that that can come out in ways that I don't think people are able to control sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think I... I'm able to put my, insert myself in these conversations, I think because I have had a family, again, relating it back to my parents. My dad's an Aboriginal man and this is what he does for his, his career and his life's work. Yeah. Is that I can take that and I can put that into this new avenue um, and, and try and really make a difference. But I've had, it's been instilled in me, I've never been made to feel ashamed of being Aboriginal. I've never been made to feel that it was something that would make me less than or I would lose out because of it. And I think because of that, I have the confidence to walk into spaces and go, this is what I have to offer. And this is what I will bring to the table. If you are willing to sit and have the conversation with me and it be an open dialogue. Um, taking up that space exactly and, and, and feeling it yeah know, not just being like oh you know really owning that yeah not being apologetic space. about it which i think yeah. is what so many uh people of color and people of diversity have experienced it's been silence for far too long because you couldn't yeah. speak about your truth um mm. and i think that's what i was saying before is that is that that can come out in ways that is uncontrollable to you because now it's yeah. this is such unfamiliar territory and it's hard because it can then be mistaken for aggression or anger or xyz which it's wrapped up in all those things 
So that's it's it's a careful, critical conversation to be able to communicate all of this stuff in a way that people will take on board the information. Um, and it, it, at the end of it, with all these circumstances that have happened, that have created this dialogue, I often say to people, it can't just be about adding noise to the conversation. It's got to be about what do we want from it. You've got to be able to sit there and go, okay, what do I want from this? How can I use this moment to propel us forward, to have a conversation mm. with people and teach them about what they need to learn? what they need to understand from an experience that they've never been in contact with before. Yeah. So it's it's hard because, in, it, it, like I said, it's wrapped up in so much emotion, so much emotion because sometimes you want to tear everything down, but you tear everything down, what do you have left? Yeah. We've got yeah. nothing to build on. We've got nothing. You, you, you don't get to, again, teach people. You don't get to, and everyone makes mistakes in their lives, whether they are as big of, a mistake, well, I don't really know if you can call it a mistake anymore, <laughs> about lacking the diversity in our industry, you know what I mean? It, I, think it's, I think it's hard to call it a mistake because it doesn't, it doesn't, it's, it doesn't feel like a, oops, it, yeah. feels, it feels very intentional. I um, think so, yeah, I think exactly right. It's like they're making, they're doing something that they need to learn from, whether yeah, you call yeah, that yeah. a mistake, I, I don't really think you can. And it's become, you know, far too many times that it's it's not a, it's not a mistake anymore it's now no. it's now time to invest the time into having these conversations and learning and absolutely and really evolving which you know like you just mentioned before the casting for Bonnie and Clyde which is it, it, that has I looked at that show and I thought it's somewhat similar to the one that I'm in at the moment. You saw people that were represented so many different things yeah. so many different things and that was all from Reese yeah. yeah who they are absolutely spectacular who are yeah. a, a resource for people for these large companies use them paving yeah. the way you exactly. know like exactly. use people like Reese they exactly. are creating leaps and bounds exactly for what we want to see and it's more interesting you know like this yeah. is stuff that we want to see because that... that's what is on the streets right yeah that is what our our streets represent that's the stories that are that are out there and I think I often say to people there's an innate storytelling ability in people that have been viewed as a minority and I say minority in quotations because in actuality aren't we the majority yeah <laughs> in some sort of way that have just been silenced for far too long um yeah, yeah but it's sure. it, it there's an innate storytelling ability because there's so much there to give and so much to tell. Um, and I can only speak to my experience is having the culture that I have and that, that has given me, because my culture is wrapped up in storytelling. It's wrapped up in dance. It's wrapped up in, in song, in art, so much culture that then when I step on the, on the stage, it's just something that is embedded in me. It's unlike, mm. and it's something you can't teach because it's a part of my soul yeah. and it's a part of my spirit, which I, like I said, people that have been viewed as the minority or viewed as not the, the, the social norm for a musical or yeah. a, a, a play or theatre or TV, whatever it may be, any medium in this, this art form, um, 
yeah, there, there's just there's so much to give. There's so much to yeah. offer if only the opportunities were to open themselves up. So now it's a, up to people to really put in the time and effort to want to better things. And that's where I go, again, if I hopefully get the opportunity to lead a show, it's, I get the opportunity to have these conversations everywhere. Yeah. To have these conversations on live television with yep. producers behind the scenes, with creatives, with the people that run these massive machine musicals mm-hmm. that it's got to be about... It, you've kind of become a cog in the wheel when you're in a big musical or you any musical, yeah. really. But it's got to be about people's welfare. It's got to mm-hmm. be about how a decision that you make impacts the individuals in this show, which then impacts their daily lives, which then impacts everyone's daily lives. Because like you said, the decision to not cast a a plus-size woman in a a leading role has affected you your entire life because you've never been able to see yourself. But only now are you able to go, I can do that. Which you always knew deep down. You're like, I always knew I could (laughs) do that, right? You're always like, of course I could do that. I just haven't ever seen it. Which, yeah, I... It's like, give me the opportunity and I'll be there. (laughs) Exactly. I still, yeah, I still sometimes struggle a little bit just that I've never seen an Aboriginal man, uh, like I said, lead lead a show, lead a big commercial musical. I often get asked, which is crazy to me, so many interviews that I do or people that I speak to go, well, do you think Australia's ready to have an Aboriginal man lead a, a musical? And I'm like... Oh. <laughs> no. You actually get asked that? It, I feel like it shouldn't be a question because also look it, at... Just to even begin with, look at the land that we're on. Exactly. And take into yeah. consideration that, yes. Yeah. Just because exactly. you're kind yeah. of choosing to... Yeah go oh I don't, I don't know if people are gonna the people that i think it matters to most are the people that are, that work and live and breathe theater are still going to be there because we're yeah. there to see people tell stories and we're so sick of seeing people that don't actually represent real life exactly. all those actual stories tell exactly. them we just want to exactly see what you just said real life that's what you want to see isn't it that's what you want to see <laughs> i just think about what it would mean to have an aboriginal man on the stage that then it would just be well we're gonna see it a... we're gonna see it because that'll be you uh, and, fingers it will, crossed. and it will be soon <laughs> it's the industry i it needs to move in that direction and i really really cannot wait for the day when you are leading a musical and oh, we get to you. just be thrilled absolutely thrilled for you oh thank you that's very kind i appreciate that no it it is it is for sure um but we're actually going to move into a little bit of a game yeah just to break things up (laughs) um and it is a lovely rapid fire question round so it's not too much of a game don't worry (laughs) so you don't need to stress competitive sides coming out yeah (laughs) (laughs) wow damn we should have done a lyric challenge (laughs) um so we've got these questions for you and uh i guess answer as quickly as you can and we're gonna like go through them and see what your your fun answers are okay all right (laughs) amazing all right tori do you want to start with the first one i can uh all right question one what is your favourite song in Moulin Rouge? Um, I love Nature Boy. 
Oh. It's it's <laughs> amazing. Go to snack at interval. A bag of chips. I'm well oh, known. Yes. I'm well known for a bag of chips. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, always a chip in hand. You can ask anyone. What flavor though? Oh, it rotates between just plain salt, um, salt and vinegar, or like honey soy chicken. Oh. I mean, the best flavors, really. But also yeah. veggie chips. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm just well known for having any sort of chip, to be honest. <laughs> just ask anyone. We'll send you a message so back. Jared and the chip. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. If you could pick one actor from the Moulin Rouge movie to do the show with you in that same role, who would it be? I mean, I wouldn't want to replace anyone, but it would be fun to do it with, like, Caroline O'Connor. She'd be cool to come in and, oh, yeah. and tear oh, it up yes. a little bit. But oh, my God. I could not replace Samantha Dornamain if my... Heart no. made me do it. I could not. No. Jeez. Just imagine that they would a get gift. to do it in tandem next year. Yeah, maybe like a one off moment. Yeah. One night only. Yeah, yeah one night only. <laughs> exactly. One night only. Spectacular. <laughs> yeah. No, but I could not get rid of her to save my life. No. She is a joy. Yeah. And a too gift. Good. Yeah. Too good. Okay, this is going to be an interesting one. Favorite reprise in Rent? I'll cover you. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it hurts. <laughs> it's, ooh, yeah, it's um, yeah, that's it's sad, but it's it's so wow. beautiful. It is, it, yeah, yeah. I can't put into words that song. Always, yeah, it has a special place with me. It Brilliant, and it was all. It was just like brilliant. Also, when I got to do it, I got to watch one of my best friends sing that night. That song every night. Yeah. Which was a gift. Okay. Go to audition song. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I don't really, I honestly don't really have one. I some, I just change a lot of the time, depending yeah. on what the brief is. My go to, like, pop rock song is Don't You Want Me. Um, <laughs> so I have a cut of that. <laughs> I'll sing that regularly. So maybe that's like, that's if I'm like doing your... a, a pop rock, it'll be that. Yeah. But, I feel like everyone has, like, one pop rock song they sing because we're like, ooh, pop rock, that's not music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I will change a lot of the time. Yeah. I, I don't usually use the same things over and over, which is... That's I don't good. know why I do it to myself, though. Sometimes I but like, it is good. It, never, it means it never gets old and you're not just like, yeah, all right, yeah. I guess I'll pull this one back out. All right, I'll, oh, I'll take go. that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, your last one, your dream role. Dream role, dream role. Oh, gosh, I have so many. I would love to do... Again, I got to do it at drama school. I would love to do George in Sunday in the Park with George again. <gasps> in like 10 years time um and just really have lived a bit of life in between i learned so much from that and it's such an actor's musical it is it's a beautiful show anything sondheim sweeney i would love to play sweeney at some moment I feel like oh, all my roles are, I've got to age like 10, 20 years at first so i'm just like biding my time um but a new dream uh, just like coming full circle, I guess. I would love to play Fierro in Wicked, just to like yes. see that. I think it's uh, it's only up from here, and hopefully, because yeah. it's really the big musicals, and I think Moulin Rouge really sets the kind of I think feel like totally. standard 
Totally, that's exactly right. Should be, and if we go under that now, it's like you need to. Yep. Yep. Come on, guys. That's Um, exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. There's a standard to uphold now, and only grow from and get better. And it's yeah, it it really I think one of my main goals and one of my passions is to really open up opportunities in drama schools as well. Yes, there's such a feeder into this industry that if we'd not we're not giving people opportunities from a young a young age or we're not giving them the uh, the funds or the means to really make this a sustainable career or a, a career that is viable a viable option for them then i mean we're just going to keep ending up with the same the same problems that we run into yeah. so really working and that was our big aim when we created we the industry was to really target young people and making sure young people get the opportunities young people from all backgrounds um diversities everything get to come and see big shows so we're we're in the we're we're in the works of yeah we've got some really exciting things we have taken a slow approach to really put in steady groundwork and making big connections with people because I think nothing good can come from a quick fix or a fast solution. So we really wanted to really take our time, put in the groundwork. And COVID, you know, put a halt. And because and the six of us were all, luckily and thankfully, we all are able to work at the moment. So it's been a busy time to really, you know, set aside time where we can all get together and really nut things out. Um, but that's been a big aim for us. We've got a few, few exciting things that will, will come out, and then hope you just hope that once you've made a, a good connection and a good rapport with some people that have jumped on board with what you're trying to achieve, that everyone else will follow suit, and yeah. you yeah. know they want a part Absolutely. of it, and they, they will want to only, only better themselves as well and better the yeah. the institutions because I mean. That's where it comes from, though. Exactly. I mean, yeah. If the institutions don't step up and start implementing stuff that's going to get them wider talent pools yeah. and um a more more diverse cohorts i mean that's something yeah. that i find disappointing yeah um a lot of the time uh, i'm like okay come on i was expecting something different like exactly right and it's one thing to uh to give the opportunities to people that yeah. haven't had the opportunities before but it goes beyond that again is that the environment has to be safe because it hasn't been right. safe before um, which is one thing that I kind of struggled with and I'm, I'm quite candid about it and it's not um, it's not any fault to any... All, all of my teachers were really great to me and they were very kind, but it wasn't... They, the, the, the institution itself wasn't prepared to have the first Aboriginal music theatre student to ever go through WAPA. It wasn't prepared to, to have yes. that. They weren't prepared for what that meant for mm-hmm. me. And it wasn't information that I was privy to before going there. So I wasn't able to prepare myself in a way that I would have liked to because I knew what I would have run into and it was exactly what I ran into. But instead of me being able to prepare for that, I had to be startled and, you know, really taken off guard in the moment, which I think it it, it was a a shifting... um, kind of paradigm between 
it being largely tokenistic a lot of the time for me, mm-hmm. it felt like, and then it would shift to where I would then be almost taunted in a sense that I only got things because I was Aboriginal. So it kind of set up this precedent that then I had to work and be 150% every single time so that it was my ability, you know, yeah. these, and the people I was surrounded by didn't know that that's the, the journey that I was going through and that I would stay, I would go to Whopper at 8am in the morning when it opened and stay there until 12pm when it closed just because I felt like I had to be... You had to prove something yeah, in a lot of ways. I had to be on my A game so that I didn't have anything taken away from me because of yeah. this precedent yeah. that had kind of been set up in the beginning. Um, but I mean, I'm glad it was me that went through the experiences there that I went through. I'm glad that it was, wasn't someone else because I, again, I, I have the resilience and I have uh, the foundation that I'm proud of it. And I, no one could ever really waver that from me. Um, and I'm a very, uh, straight up kind of person that if something was bothering me or I felt like I had been, um, disrespected in some sort of way, I would, I would let them know. Um, but yeah, it just was a, it was a hard experience to navigate and I only really got to break it down again in 2020 when all of this stuff kind of arose and the conversations weren't taboo anymore. Yeah. Um, it wasn't it wasn't something that I had to be silenced about because I uh, no one related to my experience. No mm. one, you know, you would get the the microaggressions. I would have them every day, you know, that I didn't have to pay to be there or I got more Centrelink than some people or I only got this because I was this and that and X, Y, Z. Um, and it, which is wildly untrue, wildly untrue, but it was, it was people not, understanding people not wanting to understand not and then all you I, I felt like I had to assimilate in some sort of way to fit in to yeah. survive it mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily to fit in I never really fit in uh, largely because I think uh, a, a lot of people that go into those institutions have been doing this been in dance classes singing lessons everything since they were uh, came out of the womb essentially which is just not true for, oh, for yeah. everyone. <laughs> and it's, yeah, and it, it, that was not my experience. And I, yeah. as, uh, and I love it and I loved being there, but it wasn't my entire world. I love to go and kick the footy. I love to go and, um, you know, go and have a drink at the pub. I love to go and do different things. But it just felt like that was the entire world. Yeah. Um, when I was there and it was... It was difficult to navigate, but like I said, I'm glad it was me so that no one else... Mm. uh, There's a sounding board there, and I've been very open with them, and I've had a lot of... I've had communication. I can only speak to my experience with Whopper. I've spoken to a a few institutions, but my... Again, I can only speak to... Because I went there, and I went through what I went through. um, Um. That I've been able to have a conversation with them and hopefully keep an open dialogue. Yeah, and I guess... With yeah, and with that, and with auditioning, I guess this is kind of going to be our last question for you today. So, what like three pieces of advice would you give to those who are wanting to audition, whether it be for large mainstay shows, uh, sorry, large mainstay shows, 
um, or for universities, or really for everything, but are nervous about how their diversity will be received by the panel, whether they're BIPOC, yeah. body diverse, disabled, neurodivergent, because it, it can be really scary auditioning for yeah. a show when the world 100%. has kind of portrayed that you don't belong. And obviously, I feel like as actors, yeah. we, we never belong, but there feels like there becomes a norm, which we don't want to be the norm. 100%, 100%. I think that the first thing that I would love to do in that regard is if you are doing a show that required, that has a certain requirement for people or you are searching for people of diversity, diversify your panels. You have to make the environment feel safe so that people feel safe to walk in there. That's one big thing that I say to a lot of people. Then my next piece of advice is take up your space. And it's something that we spoke about earlier on today. But taking up your space and knowing that you are worthy of being there just as much as the next person, um, that's a huge thing for me, is just allowing people to take your moment and know that you, you've put in just as much effort as the next person just as much time and blood, sweat and tears as maybe the person that books the job all the time, but who's to say that you're not going to book this one? Exactly. Who's to say that this isn't your show? And you've got to, you've got to believe in yourself that you, before you're able to step in that room, because if you walk in there and you, you don't believe in yourself, then who else is going to believe in you? You know, you've got to, you've got to really trust that, that you, you have the power to really harness everything that you need to to book the job, to make the the role yours, to be a part of the ensemble of that show, and and know that you bring something special to it because no one else is like you. Everyone says it all the time, right? Everyone says there's no other you, but it's so true. It's so true that there's there's not one other person that can bring what you bring to something, and really harnessing in on your skill set and knowing. I think it's it's nice to have an awareness of what your strengths are, obviously, because your strengths vary, and yeah. um, they vary from person to person. But not closing yourself off to you know exploring different avenues of what yeah. your skill set may be, because I can guarantee you'll you'll learn different things. But I think going in knowing what your strengths are and playing to your strengths and taking yeah. up space is something that is is going to aid you in the long run because you're putting your best foot forward. And then from there, Mm. you get a callback and you're able to then explore what possibly could be a new strength or a strength Mm. that you uh, feel like you want to hone in on a little bit more, you know. But I think really understanding your skill set and taking up the space that you deserve. Um, And then my third piece of advice, what would I say? I would say just throw all caution to the wind. I mean, what have you got to lose? Yeah. <laughs> what have you really got to lose? You know, you go and you do a bad audition. It's not the end of the world, right? It may feel like it in the moment, but I'll guarantee tomorrow you'll wake up and you'll get on with your day. Again, throwing caution to the wind. It's really, you've got nothing to lose. Yeah, such great advice and such a... A good way, I guess, to end today's episode because 
Um, this has been really inspiring just chatting to you about your life and about everything. I think these are, these conversations are just so important for us to be having and to be sharing with people. I'm so glad you came on here and were totally. able to share your stories with us and with everyone. So oh, we appreciate thank that. You. No, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I um, yeah. No, I really, I appreciate every opportunity and I appreciate the two of you giving me the opportunity to speak about these conversations and just, you know, it, it's just have an authentic, real chat about yeah. Yeah. The, the world and, yeah. and about the art form that we love. And that, you know, yeah, but the, it's complicated, and it yeah, that and it has its flaws and requires work. To, yeah, in a number Definitely. of different areas, it requires your individual work, but it requires work as a collective and and beyond, you know, yeah, and work exactly. in different areas of. Yeah, so it's no, I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm sure we could talk about this for actual hours, right? And learn ourselves as well continue yeah. learning ourselves that's absolutely what we want to do as well um so yeah we really appreciate that no, but i guess before you. we go we're going to end with a quick little bedtime story so oh, i'm sure. not sure if you have a little uh stage mishap or anything that has happened to you um I, I have one that comes to mind it was when you said earlier um something left you mortified in the moment but now it's funny yeah. um when i was doing catch if you can at the haze I split my pants in one of the numbers, and that space is very small, very intimate. So you yeah. Can see, oh, yeah. You can kind of see everything. Um, so no hiding. But I thought I I was meant to be in the next scene, but I thought I had time to run off. I don't know what possessed me to do this. <laughs> I ran off, and I thought I could change my pants in time. But I literally, it was like a matter of seconds. I just, I just obviously wasn't thinking, and then I <laughs> was mid. I pulled off my pants. And I'd somehow started, I'd, again, I was in the moment, I'd started undressing other things that I didn't need to undress. So like my tie, I started undressing my shirt. Anyway, so then <laughs> the stage manager comes to the side and goes, Jared, you're meant to be on the stage right now. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? I'm trying to change my pants. And my mic was on over because <laughs> I had the first line. No! So I, I sit there and I go, oh, F that, over. And it went over the entire, <gasps> the entire um, stage, no. uh, the entire auditorium of that, that mm. space. Um, yeah. And then I walked out and I said, I did the scene, but I was <laughs> had no pants on. I, I was in socks. I had a tie like that. Uh, yeah, it was um, one of my finest, finest moments. I think, that's, I think that's one of possibly the worst one yeah. that we've had. Yeah, isn't that bizarre? <laughs> and I was... It was so funny. And Cameron Mitchell was directing the show and he came back and pissed himself. But I was mortified. Absolutely mortified because, like, it was so out of character for me to even try and attempt to do something like that or even think that I was, like, capable of changing my pants so quick. I don't even know. But it's hilarious now. In the moment, I I was... I feel like we've all had those moments where we we just in the moment feel like we have so much time yeah like i said i was absolutely mortified i could not even talk about it for ages but now it's funny now you can like reflect on it and it's fine i I think that was when i was like i just come out of drama school and it was like you have to do your best job and i was like oh 
now I go, oh, who cares? Yeah. Who cares? It's not that precious. It's yeah. not that precious. It's not That's at great. all. No. No, it's not. Life. life and experience, things, right? Things happen. <laughs> and live theatre is live theatre. Like, exactly. what oh, you can't, things happen and you can't change it. But Yeah, and that's the beauty of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we love that. Well, thank you so much for not only sharing your most horrifying statement <laughs> yes, with us, but that. for taking the time to come on and, and talk with us today and talk so candidly and openly. Um, because obviously, uh, myself and Eliza are also constantly trying to learn and learn how to be better allies, what we can do, the impact that we have as the longest running uh, theatre podcast in Australia. Like, what How about we... that? Yeah. Congratulations <laughs> on that. That's amazing. Like, just, we want to make sure that we're obviously doing everything that we can to assist. So thank you for talking yes, so openly you. and candidly with us. We really... Oh, thank you. No, it's been a pleasure. Anytime, honestly, anytime. We really appreciate the time, but... Guys, please make sure that you follow Jared on Instagram because Jared posts a lot of um, amazing, informative content around all of this and many different uh, facets. So you can follow Jared at literally Jared underscore Draper. Super simple, super easy. (laughs) Um, And also make sure, obviously, Melbourne is completely sold out for Moulin Rouge. Yeah. But you can still get tickets to see it in Sydney. So just head to moulinrougemusical.com slash Australia because... I know I'll definitely be going to see it possibly more than once because I would really also love to see, obviously it's really hard, but I'd really love to see some of the understudies as well in this show. Um, But thank you again so much for taking the time to come and talk to us today. We really appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. I appreciate it too. Thank you so much. And thank you so much guys for listening. Um, And until next time, stay happy, healthy and safe and we will see you then. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.